0: Welcome to The Problem, a Lockwood & Go podcast. I'm Caitlin. I'm Alan. And today we are talking about the first part of part four, Dead Men Talking, chapters 15 to 17. I think I said my name really weird, but oh well.
1: Yeah, I agree. It was very weird, but I wasn't going to say anything I think I put a weird it.
0: emphasis on the Lynn or like a lack of an emphasis. Anyway, it doesn't matter.
1: Yeah. Are there dead men talking in this group? Yeah. Of chapters? I guess there are men. There's more than one.
0: Jack Carver says something, and the Skull says yeah. something.
1: Skull talks. There's some other talking later. We're not going to get to it in, in this part, where there's even more dead people talking. So I guess it's true. I, I guess do
0: think true. it is mostly referring to Carver, like and that skull. line that we get after he dies, and Skull. Yeah, I think that's right.
1: Is Skull a man? Dead boys talking?
0: Um, Maybe this is... Using man in the Tolkien way, where it is just referring to the human race. (laughs) The race of men. Yeah. Yeah. The race of men talking. (laughs) (laughs) The dead race whatever.
1: Good. Well, we start off here in chapter 15, where Jack Carver dies in Lockwood's home. d secures the crime scene, and Skull starts talking again.
0: And for a little peek behind the curtain, this is the second time we've had to record this, and the first time, I made a good joke, but it just...
1: About dying in Lockwood's arms.
0: It's just not yeah. the same now. <laughs> I'm sorry. It's nobody's fault. It's it's just I, listeners, there's so much gold that you missed out on because <laughs> <laughs> computers are finicky. There's really not. Don't worry. The chapter out for chapter 15 is the knife that was presumably in the back of Jack Carver. Um, very cleaned off of any sort of blood and or viscera.
1: Yeah, it's super clean. It's kind of like even shiny.
0: Do you ever say a word and then realize you're not 100% sure what it means?
1: <laughs> Viscera and stuff? hmm Yeah. I think that is literally like the ropey parts. Yeah. So.
0: I, when I said it, I was like, that's just like bits from inside a person. And I was like... No, I think it's something specific. So I'm probably wrong, using it wrong, but whatever, you get it.
1: I like that he doesn't die right away here in the book. Like, there's a lot of time, and that that makes sense if you're stabbed in the back, I guess. Unless it went right into the heart, it's gonna take a little while. I, it, it's probably good if it was in the viscera. That would be really bad. It would take a really long time. He'd be there like narrating for like chapters <clears throat> while he slowly bled out
0: what I think is interesting is that Lockwood is like, you know, he gives Lucy a rapier and says, go take a quick look, but then just barricade the door. And Lucy like steps outside to look around.
1: She like leaves.
0: In case there's a murderer. Like what? Lucy? No.
1: (laughs) Did they think it was a person, though? Or did they think? Yeah, I guess they would have to think it's not like a poltergeist or something like that. They definitely thought a person was out there.
0: And I, I get like barricading the door. That makes sense. But stepping outside first. Lucy, make good choices.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Luckily, there's no one there. So.
0: Yeah. Like, what, what was her plan? If she did come across a murderer, stab them?
1: Like behind the iron line. The sign is clear.
0: <laughs> Tell them the
1: rules. <laughs> well, now you know that if there is a murderer, they don't have a knife. It's, it's pretty safe now.
0: Right, they definitely don't have any other weapon on them. One hundred percent, no. One of the lines here, when she's looking around, though, is she does say, um, "London slept, and while it slept, ghosts and murderers walked free." Mm. And I do like that because it drives home one of my favorite things, or why I think these books are so compelling. You know, there's there's ghosts and and stuff, but the answer to the mysteries is always evil humans.
1: Yeah, it's very dangerous out there. Yeah. And, like, the people are the most dangerous thing.
0: Yeah, exactly. The ghosts are always just, like, they're involved somehow, but they're not ever the ultimate answer.
1: Yeah, and it's, I keep saying this over and over, but it's true. It's, like, the whole, like, hard-boiled detective thing. It's, Mm -hmm. like, the murderers are out there and they're free. Like, that's why the world is, like, so messed up and corrupt in that kind of fiction. Because the world is, like, terrible And the people in power kind of want to keep it that way because that's what's good for them.
0: Which is very true here, too. Yeah. But then, yes, she goes back to the boys and it turns out that Jack Carver is not quite dead and he's trying to speak. And this is where one of the very few times that I've agreed with Lucy about George being uniquely slappable. (laughs) (laughs) Like this whole time. George panics. (laughs) I just want him to shut up. (laughs) And I get it's. It, it's supposed to be funny and make this like very serious scene a little more lighthearted. But oh, my God, shut up, George. It's really
1: crazy. Like, what is he? What is he thinking? He's like, I'm pretty sure he wants a drink of juice. It's really weird. There's it says here to um, Lucy call a night ambulance and deep too. Uh I think Lockwood tells her that. Mm-hmm. And I was like, are there. Day and night ambulances, I think there has to be, right? Because they would have to, like, be kitted out in armor or something like that. Yeah.
0: And they mentioned that the night ambulance has to wait for protection. Right. So don't ever have a heart attack at night, folks.
1: Man, it's, like, bad out there. Yeah. I feel like they're trying to save him, right? They're, like... They're talking to him, but they don't have much hope because they know that it's going to be a long time before the ambulance shows up. Yeah. But they don't really know what to do to save him. I mean,
0: yeah, what, he is stabbed. Honestly, what do you do with a guy who's stabbed in the back? Yeah. You just have to wait for people who know what they're doing. Yeah. Uh, though, to be fair, you probably shouldn't turn him on his side. But whatever. I know
1: that's what I thought. But, like, you don't want him laying on his back, obviously. So, like, I, I, I don't know. he was what to on do. his
0: front. Yeah. He that's what I thought. forward.
1: Yeah you hard to breathe if you're like laying in a puddle of your blood and stuff. So I don't I know. I think that's
0: the least of his worries right now. <laughs> I mean, hard to breathe if you've got a knife in your lungs.
1: Yeah, that's the hardest part, yeah. really.
0: Anyway, so this is where we first get him referring to the bone glass, the mirror, like he calls the mirror the bone glass.
1: Which- <laughs> right. And George is like, I think he's saying bogeys.
0: Oh, yeah. Jeez. And he's like, and he sticks with it even after they've been like, no, it's Bone Glass. I'm like, George, what the fuck?
1: <laughs> yeah. The, they say Bone Glass, which is like such an evocative term. It's so good. And Lucy has like the the flash of the mirror mm-hmm. from the, the whole thing. And they're like, oh, this is what it's called. Uh, and it's a good naming convention, too. You get this like in fantasy and science fiction a lot of times where you're like, just name the thing in a way where you know what it's made of and like what it is and all of that stuff just like right there in the name. So you get like a good idea of what this artifact is just from calling it a bone glass.
0: Mm-hmm. And then um Lucy gets a good look at Jack Carver after getting this like really creepy description of him previously from Flo, and I like that she's just like he he just looks young and scrawny and ill-fed.
1: Yeah. It's like, it's so good. It's like such a human moment to mm-hmm. have this thing where you're like, oh, this, these dangerous scumbag people. But actually, they're just like, he's just trying to survive, right? Yeah. And that's why he's turned to crime.
0: And then he also says, um, seven, not one. And we get George losing the pencil under the bo- under Carver. He's not the body yet. Um, I, Again, just get your shit together, George.
1: Yeah, he's not he's panicking for or sure. like
0: I don't think I could have my shit together in this scene, but I would just remove myself, right? I would right. just be like, I'm not gonna be any help. I'm going in the other room, I'll just panic over there. Have a good one, guys.
1: I think Lockwood is kind of losing it too. Like he's very angry. Like I understand, you know, he like he wants George to be more with it, but he's like really, really harsh. It feels like all of their emotions are heightened, uh, which is appropriate.
0: That's and good. fair. You know, I noticed Lockwood like that, but I thought Lockwood was just being on his normal bullshit of wanting to be an adult who had his shit together, Mm -hmm. you know. But I guess he is a little bit uh, ain't meaner. I guess maybe is what I'm going for here than usual. So maybe it is his version of what the fuck do we do?
1: Yeah, he has no patience. It feels like for any of this. Not that George is like he's not being helpful, but also Lucy's like being really quiet. And mm-hmm. uh, in a, you know, like inside of herself. So I think they're just all scared.
0: I never know in scenes like this, because this is um, a first person perspective book. Like, I never know if that's a specific character choice or if the writer just wanted this to be a Georgian Lockwood, you know, yeah. back and forth. But I do. But it does make sense that Lucy would just be sitting there kind of quiet and keeping to herself. That's probably what I would be doing if I didn't leave the room.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I'm with you. I'd probably just leave.
0: Anyways, George gets the pencil that got stuck under Jack, and then he writes down the things that he's saying, and he thinks he's saying Juice instead of Julius, which, to be fair, why would he be saying Julius and not Winkman? It is specifically so that Stroud can write that joke. You know, like... (laughs) You're right. I don't think Carver is on first name basis with this evil dude.
1: Yeah, that's funny. To me, it makes me think of the drink, the orange Julius. And I'm like, it is a drink. Like, it makes sense. I understand, mm. George, why you're confused. But I don't even know if that's a thing in England. So
0: I don't know off the top of my head either.
1: Yeah, but it's not about juice. I think yeah. it it is Julius. It's a weird joke, but like George is always the butt of the joke. He's always the comedy relief. That's how he gets used in the story.
0: Yeah, poor George. Except in this one scene where I do want to smack him. Uh, So, yeah, Winkman has the bone glass we put together from the dying man. And then after that, uh, you know, Lucy says to write down the last thing that he said, but nobody else heard it because he has died. And he said, please come with me. Right. Creepy.
1: They say to write it down anyway. Uh, It is a weird thing for him to say. Like when you think about the ghosts are like caught in the same moment over and over again. I wonder if it's directly about you know, crossover with me or if it, or if he's just automatically caught in some moment that was like flashing before his eyes or something there, there's no way to know, but yeah, very creepy.
0: Yeah. And we never really hear anything more from him. So yeah, we don't know. Do um, um, Oh, you know what? We were talking about Lucy being quiet and into herself, but also she went to make the phone call. So maybe she wasn't really there. That's a good point. Although then George asks her to get the pencil. And she doesn't say anything. Yeah, I mean,
1: she, com- she comes yeah. back, but it's true that she's, like, she doesn't, like, her her role is not well-defined. Like, Lockwood is, like, asking the questions, and George is supposed to be recording everything. But, yeah, I think she's just helping to listen, which makes sense. Yeah. She has this really good line, like, I think this might be my favorite bit of writing in this whole part, where like as he slips away, like they're watching him to see if, you know, if he's okay, if he's, or if he's getting worse and worse. And it says, uh, death is fugitive. Even when you're watching for it, the actual instant somehow slips between your fingers. You don't get that sudden drop of the head that you see in movies. Instead, you simply sit there waiting for something to happen. And all at once you realize you missed it. And that is kind of like, if you've ever seen anybody die, it's, it's like you can't really tell when exactly it happened. You just know that it did. It just feels very real.
0: I have luckily never seen someone die.
1: Mm. I mean, yeah, legally I was acquitted of that. Um, <laughs> but no, 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 no. I've seen very old family members in the hospital and stuff like
0: that. Yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm just lucky that I wasn't, you know, there the day it happened for some of my older family members. they wait around oh yeah so then lockwood is like lucy how did the phone call go the they decide that the ambulance is going to be there in 10 15 minutes because like we said it has to wait for protection and then he asks george to rifle through the guy's pockets which i don't know about you but to me that feel feels kind of like punishment for how he was acting beforehand (laughs) he's like george you loot the corpse yeah that's pretty funny. Because it's exactly what George was having a problem with before, you know, getting close to the, cor- to the, well, he wasn't even a corpse then. Right. But now he's like, you got to go through his pockets. Anyways, <laughs> and he, then he has uh, Lucy draw the dagger so that they know what it looks like. It's a very fancy dagger, not just a random ass one that you would have. I don't have daggers, but it's not like a kitchen knife or a common, like a, you know, some people have knives that you like a pocket knife is what I'm trying to say.
1: Yeah. Or like even a street weapon, like a stiletto or something like that. It's yeah. This is like an antique.
0: Definitely not a shoe.
1: No, no. Yeah. it says a Mughal dagger, which is like, you know, there's like a whole history between India and great Britain and the Mughal dynasty and stuff like that. So, uh, yeah, this is like in a, in a, an antique and, It's funny because like this happens all the time in the books, and I forget about this because in the show, George is like, and it feels like a George thing to notice, oh, it's a Moogle dagger. They usually come in pairs, Mm -hmm. blah, blah, blah. That's like a weird fact that it seems like George would know. But in the books, it's always Lockwood who knows stuff about antiques and about like weapons and old things because of his parents. Yeah. So he's the one who notices it in the book.
0: I do... I just like when that happens in adaptations, when they decide the quote unquote smart character can be the only one to know things. Yeah. Like, just because somebody is book smart or studious or whatever doesn't mean the other people are dumb or don't have interests or don't pick up knowledge. I don't know. It always seems like a disservice. I agree.
1: It's a simplification of the roles because like in the show, Lockwood is kind of the leader and the jock in some ways. Yeah. And then that makes George more into the brain. And yeah, Lucy's a yeah. sensitive one. Oh,
0: well, I mean, I, I do get it because it, sometimes you just got to like you said, streamline and move things along, but I don't know. It just seems, it seems, it, it seems a shame to take well-rounded characters and make them a little more square.
1: Well, and I think that Stroud does this here specifically because it lends a little bit of a, glimpse into, you know, Lockwood's backstory yes. and be like, well, how do you know that? That's weird. And to be like, oh, because of my parents. But now we will change the subject.
0: Yeah. I so. I do think this is the first time he's ever told us anything about his parents.
1: Hmm. Yeah. And you can infer things from all the stuff on the walls, but it doesn't mean that Lockwood knows anything about that stuff. But now it would seem like, oh, maybe he does.
0: So then the contents of the pockets are a lot of money, mostly.
1: Right. Yeah, so he got paid. He doesn't have the bone glass anymore, and he said Julius, he has lots of money, so we can pretty much figure out what happened.
0: Yes, um, but then they realize Deepak's going to be there soon, and the ghost star is out. When George told Barnes that he got rid of it, so he goes to hide it in right. the oven. Love that. <laughs>
1: I, I think like... it's still in the oven. Oh, and he just goes. But they to have like, the door open. The door. Yeah, yeah, because they couldn't get it back out. It right. was like jammed in there. So he just goes to close it up. Yeah. And uh, and they have to put the body back and put all the stuff back in the pockets, minus the note that led Carver to their door. Right. Yes. And Lockwood says not to tell Barnes anything. So we're still not trusting Barnes. We're still not, and it, and the reason is because it'll give Kipps, it'll lose them their edge over Kipps. So we're you know prioritizing the competition over the collaboration still, and like you know. Uh, it doesn't matter how dangerous this thing is. We got to win the competition.
0: Yep. And, you know, honestly, to be fair, the fact that Barnes shows up with Kipps and his team, like, that's shitty. Like, yeah. I'm going to the agent's house, but I'm bringing agents with me because I don't trust those agents. Like, <laughs> fucking Kips.
1: It feels like the teacher with, like, the group project and being like, here's the other people who are doing... Your group project, I, I successfully brought you all together. And I don't know. Barnes shows bad judgment in this whole thing, too. Yeah. On this top feels of that.
0: different than the group project thing that he's trying to push them on. This, this feels like, no, I needed to bring other agents to investigate your house to make sure everything was good.
1: They definitely do that.
0: Yeah. And, and it just, it feels weird because it's not an office, right? It's Lockwood's house.
1: Right. Yeah.
0: I don't know. I don't like it. I don't like that they're there poking poking around and that Cat Godwin ends up putting on this weird show of like listening in the corner. Like, what is she even doing? <sighs> <laughs> Anyways, everyone's there. They tell Barnes an almost truthful account of what happened, but they leave out that they spoke to the dude and that they basically invited him there. Mm-hmm. And so he just came in and died.
1: Yep. They zip up the body, roll up the rug, and uh, they... Give them advice, deep practice about like, be careful, it's a murder victim. Yeah. There's a good chance they'll come back as a ghost. And they're oh. like, yeah, we know how that works.
0: And there's this bit about how they use salt guns to cleanse the hall. Yeah. And I love that they couldn't just drop some salt. Has to be nah. salt guns. <laughs> that sounds like somebody wanted to make money off of salt guns, you know? and Right, yeah. Exactly. Advertise them well.
1: In the show, it's like a vacuum cleaner, but in reverse. It just spits salt everywhere. Yeah, like, like,
0: it's a cool visual, and I get it, but why would you not just have a sack of salt? (laughs) (laughs) Whatever. And then they have these numbers, like 65% chance of them coming back in the first year, 35% after that. Who comes up with these numbers? Who did the study, you know? What was (laughs) there? Who's just murdering people to see if they come back as ghosts? Like, what... I... Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: (laughs) Exactly. And it also doesn't even make sense. Like, if the problem's getting worse, you'd think those numbers would skew or something. It's just, like, they don't know. They don't know what they're talking about. It's all made up.
0: And not like Stroud made it up, but, like, I I feel strongly that Deepak made some shit up.
1: Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Anyways. Earlier, when they went through the contents of his pockets and stuff, in the... uh, So we have the US editions, but in the UK edition... He has a, a lighter and cigarettes, and he doesn't have that in the U.S. edition. They just don't include mm-hmm. those items. I thought that was funny.
0: It does. It does feel like they're trying to make the bad guy cleaner, for lack of a better word, which is mm-hmm. very American. It's, it's choice, not even illegal
1: or anything or weird. Like it's just weird to take that out. I think.
0: And it's um, not like it's Lockwood that had the cigarettes. You know, it's not like they took them out and smoked whatever.
1: Yeah. Right. That that anyway, just that feels
0: like the most American thing in the world to do, like to to sanitize something so much that it lacks personality.
1: Yep. Yeah. Founded by the Puritans, baby. We <laughs> we love it here.
0: Oh, and then on the next page, when they're talking to Barnes and they talk about what they found in his pockets, it's Lockwood that says, "You know, so he probably sold it already." And then Barnes like. Like it feels very much like Barnes is a step behind these children, for sure. Yeah, I'm figuring out what was going on there, and I'm like, my dude, Barnes, you are. Yeah, you are an investigator, as Barnes. And he's like, I
1: would start with the distinctive dagger, and and he's like, yeah, maybe I don't know. Who cares? And it's like, come on, man, you're literally a detective. I do like the point that Barnes makes, where he's like, I don't think either of you are doing a good job, like. Kipps is going around arresting everybody, yeah, and filling up all my jails. And meanwhile, you guys have dead bodies in your house with nothing to show for it. So, like, that's true. That's a fair point.
0: But it does feel like maybe Lockwood and Co. is actually on the right track. If dead, if like the guy who s- stole it shows up at their house, yeah.
1: Well, he just doesn't know. Like, they're keeping all kinds of information from him. Yeah, that's so like, fair. as far as he knows, there's like. This is a coincidence or something.
0: Um but, yeah. But Barnes does sort of bring that up. He does sort of say that it feels like the two teams aren't cooperating and not uh sharing information with other investigating agents and he says that, you know, I should warn all of you that it's an offense not to share information. I don't like mm-hmm. like I don't Does he mean that it's it's illegal? Like <laughs> is that what he's saying? Cuz I don't I don't think it is.
1: Yeah, like obstruction of justice, yeah.
0: But but they're not like Nobody's interrogating them, right? Police are not asking them questions. He's just saying you have to work together or I'll arrest you. I, yeah, <laughs> I guess.
1: <laughs> Maybe this is his rule. It's not like a regulation. I guess that's a good point.
0: <laughs> it's an offense to Barnes. It's offense to me. Yeah.
1: I'll throw you in jail. Um, That'll really solve the problem, too.
0: I do love his, like, last line here, I think, is Lockwood, Covens, don't forget to scatter iron in your hall. And he just leaves Lucy out of that completely. (laughs) Like, can't be trusted. Right, yeah. I don't know.
1: He just forgets she's there.
0: Oh, yeah, I guess that's more likely.
1: And remember to water your tulips, Carlisle.
0: (laughs) Yeah. And then Lucy's, like, shutting them out, and Kibbs offers her a job at Fitz, which I had forgotten happened in the book. I genuinely thought it was a show-only thing.
1: Yeah, it's, uh it's yeah That's i don't it is, i guess
0: I don't remember if it comes up again like if she talks about it with lockwood like she did in the show i i don't think so certainly not in the same way with him like showing emotions but because book lockwood doesn't do that till book four maybe <laughs> A yeah
1: um it's kind of there yeah there is like um this whole thing about they're like still talking to Barnes and stuff, and it it says, we just had word from Portland Muse around the corner. Number seven there, heard an altercation down the street, like around uh, 11 o'clock, raised male voices, very angry, some kind of argument, and sure enough, there's blood on the cobbles. That's where it happened. So this didn't happen, like, on the porch. It was, like, on the way to the house. Right, so yeah, he was
0: stabbed a couple blocks away or whatever. Down the yeah. street and then he made his way to them. Mm-hmm. Which is why when Lucy was looking for a murderer, she didn't see anybody. She didn't see
1: anybody. It's wild to be able to get away so cleanly in a sense that you have the dagger in you still. I don't know. I've always thought this is weird. Like it's a cool dramatic choice, but anytime I try to think through the logistics of it, it just seems weird.
0: May it might have been that uh uh like Carver was stumbling away where the dude who stabbed him would be very easily seen so he just sort of gave up right. trying to get the knife back. He gave up. That's that's really the only thing that makes sense. And he's sense. not
1: used to violence and stuff. Yeah. yeah, He's probably never stabbed anyone so he's bad at it. I do like that though <clears throat> that they figure out like where it actually happened it bothered me in the show that I was like where did this happen? Uh, I don't know. That just mattered to me. And I was like, oh, it's in the book. Okay.
0: So, and then they have this bit where, um, after everyone's gone, Lockwood and George and Lucy are talking about everything. Oh, and Lucy reminds them all about the Fitz party, just so that us readers don't forget about it. But Lockwood has this bit where he says something about he's sure that Barnes knows more about what's going on or what the bone glass is. And I'm like, I don't think, I don't remember. Does that ever come back? Like, does Barnes know more? Do we ever, I don't think it's important. But... I don't. I feel like Barnes
1: knows that like there are more like that there are more important people than him who do things that he doesn't understand, but that it's part of his job not to ask questions. But I don't think he knows things, if that makes sense.
0: Yeah. It just seemed like an odd thing to write into the book. And especially since I don't remember it ever coming to fruition, you know, there isn't like a reveal about Barnes in this book. Mm-mm. Or any book, as I, far as I remember. No,
1: I think Lockwood's right to not trust him. Yeah. But it's just because, like, I think he's just par- a cog in the machine. Like, he's not a power player. And, yeah, he doesn't, like, he's not a part of any kind of conspiracy or anything like that. He's just, like, a good civil servant in a corrupt society. Like, he's not corrupt himself. He's just so incompetent that, like, he's well-placed in his job.
0: Yeah. Um, yeah, so then as they're talking about it a little bit more, Skull chimes in. Right. And it turns out that he knew Bickerstaff.
1: It says, I heard its spectral laughter bubbling in my mind. Gross. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's very evocative.
0: And then we're on to chapter 16. I want to see what anything else. Uh, okay. So in chapter 16, Skull claims that Edmund Bickerstaff was his master, while he was alive, and that there is a secret cache of notes at his manor. And the chapter art is Skull's Oven, but Skull is no longer in it. He has finally escaped Skull's Oven. The oven. <laughs> it's like his bedroom, you know? That's where they, that's his part of the house. Yeah.
1: <laughs> to have privacy. Yeah.
0: It's good. Put him in the oven. Uh, I didn't take many notes here during the conversations because it really is just Skull giving them info. Uh, except that I do love that he calls George Torturer. I'll suck the life from your bones. <laughs> and, <Yeah. laughs> and Lucy's just like, uh, he doesn't like George. Right. Paraphrase. Yeah.
1: Yeah, this is good because it it's kind of a funny logistical thing. It's almost like the same scene from the previous chapter, but in reverse, mm-hmm. because only Lucy can hear what's going on. And they're like, a lot of the comedy comes from that kind of thing where skull says something and then how it gets interpolated to the rest of the team is like where the joke is uh, instead of, so like there was miscommunication before. Right. Is what I'm mm-hmm. saying with George, like hearing like he wants juice, he's talking about bogeys, but now like the joke is that Lucy is like summarizing or editing it, but we know cause we're like on the inside of it.
0: Yes. But I, I do love that she makes a note to take the boys to the side And say like, look, you cannot get mad at me for the things I say. That's the only way this is going to work because it's him. It's not me.
1: I know. Thank God she does this. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And even still, I think there's moments where it bothers me anyways. Yeah. I I don't like it either. Yeah. And then so she has a moment where she's sort of thinking to herself about what Marissa Fitz has said about talking to type threes and like kind of pumping herself up to not let him get to her. And then she's all, hello, spirit. (laughs) And I just love this juxtaposition for how like this basically first proper conversation with Skull goes to like how conversations with Skull go in the future because them trying to be all polite and mm-hmm. official here. And I think it just turns into, you know, Lucy and Skull yelling at each other most of the time.
1: Yeah. Because he's just a kid. He's just a person. Yeah. And they're trying to be like, yeah, oh, august spirit from beyond. It's like, it's not like that. No. Yeah just a dumb kid
0: which eventually they do sort of clue into and then Lucy just has a conversation with him but it's awkward cuz she also has to relay it to the others mhm which involves her calling Lockwood her master i
1: know <laughs> i do like good. that idea of like it's it's a funny it's a funny thing she doesn't i don't know like Lockwood's her boss but she doesn't want to like interrupt the kind of fantasy version of Lockwood that she has by like acknowledging the fact that he's her boss. I don't know. It's, she doesn't want what she wants from him is not like his status as a boss. And she doesn't right. want to see herself as like his employee or inferior or servant. She wants this like shiny version of him that is like, she can't exactly obtain that doesn't really exist, honestly. But uh but yeah, like I think that Skull saying this again is like comes back to that kind of unspeakable stuff that I was talking about where Skull is like her darker side, just like saying that Lockwood is your master mm. it's just kind of like acknowledges something that Lucy is not totally comfortable with.
0: Yeah, that that's interesting because it makes like it makes the ending of book three very much like it always had to happen to change up the power dynamics.
1: Yeah. I think that yeah, I think that's true.
0: Um so then they ask Skull if he is Simon Wilberforce or Mary Dulac, which were the people who participated right. in all the craziness with uh Bakerstaff. And <laughs> he basically says, I'm neither of those fools. And gets very <laughs> affronted at the idea that he might be a girl, which is just very young, adolescent boy of him.
1: Yep. A girl, never. They yeah. have cooties.
0: So then um, he just goes on and on about what a visionary and wonderful person the grave robber Biggerstaff was. And eventually he does let slip about the hidden notes. And I can't tell if this is like Skull specifically did want to give them this information S- while also saying that he doesn't want to give them any information, so it feels clunky. Or if this was actually clunky writing on Jonathan Stroud's part. I feel like
1: they work this out of him in a pretty natural way. He just gets caught up in the conversation, it feels like. Uh, He does, but I think he does want to go back there, too.
0: Oh, yeah, definitely. He wants to.
1: Yeah.
0: I I do think he wants to, a part of him wants to give them all this information because he... Like, as we learn later, Skull is super lonely. Yeah. Right? So as much as he wants to be a little dick, he also, he wants them to keep talking to him, to, to bring him on jobs, to have a purpose. Yeah. He's also, like, he's also
1: a teenager in a way. Mm-hmm. So, like, he, he just has, like, weird, I know more than you do kind oh, of identity yeah. yeah. hang-ups. So to be like, who cares about, like, he. He's some kind of weird loser who put a bunch of bodies in the basement, and he's like, "Not in the basement, in the secret room behind the wall," because uh, I know about that, and you don't. Like, kind of that makes sense to me. It, I don't know; it works for me. It is a little bit clunky, but uh, but I buy it just because of you know, like that's how teenage boys are.
0: <laughs> eh, not just boys. I remember being that way. So then they they keep trying to ask him his name, but that makes the ghost basically clam up a bit. And eventually he's sort of, the ghost is leaving. I guess Lucy can tell. It's not just a pop in, pop out situation. And so Lockwood is like, ask him his name again. Mm -hmm. And George is all, no, ask him about the other side. Quick, Lucy. Like, George wants to interrogate him about death, which is interesting. And I feel like George is kidding himself that he would actually get any useful information. And
1: does he even really know? Like, I don't know.
0: Skull? No. Yeah. We find out later that he basically, I mean, spoilers? I don't know. Um,
1: well, no, I did, that's what I mean. Like, why does George think that it would have all the answers anyway? You well, know what I, I mean? Like,
0: no, asking the questions makes sense to me because, uh, like, Marissa Fitz never wrote anything down, particularly that we know of, about how her conversations mm-hmm. with Type 3s went. So, this is the first opportunity where you could ask. Right, because all the other goats are just trapped, basically, in a loop, but type threes can mm-hmm. actually have a conversation. So I get wanting to ask, but we do find out later that, um, according to Skull, so take it with a grain of skull, salt, salt, Skullt. <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs> you, you become a type three because you choose to stay, so you don't find out any of the answers.
1: Right. Yeah. Exactly. That's yeah. That's what I mean. So like, even if there are answers, this wouldn't. It just seems to me like the ghosts would never be the ones to ask anyway. I don't know. I've, I think that's just a bias that I've had from learning about religions for so long. Like, I'm I'm like, yeah, of course, ghosts don't know what's up because they never know what's up in any religion. They're always like the worst people to ask about the afterlife because they're trapped.
0: But it's not just religion. It's, it's like so. that in every ghost story, too, like because yeah, the yeah, authors yeah. don't yeah. want to answer. Right. It's yeah, Exactly. to have do not know. Right?
1: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's part of the point. That's why it's a mystery. Yeah. Um. Yeah. I do like that. Um, I mean, Lockwood asked a very straightforward question and gets a straightforward answer. But I feel mm-hmm. like it's very ironic that like Skull doesn't really know what he's talking about here. So he says like, but what does the bone glass do? And Skull says it gives knowledge. It gives enlightenment. But like, he never looked into it and everybody who did went crazy. Yeah. So like, is that just what Bickerstaff believed? Is that, is that based on, it doesn't seem based on anything. It just is what he seems to be repeating what Bickerstaff told him.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. And I I feel like maybe that's what Bickerstaff wanted it to do. Yeah. And this guy, and I
1: think whenever we hear the, like, It'll give you your heart's desire. This is what we're talking about. Like, this is was what he wanted it yeah. to be.
0: Yes. I, that's how I feel, too. Like, but he made... Like, that's what Bickerstaff wanted to make. But instead, he, he made something else. And it's interesting right. how it how it was this, like, evil, powerful artifact even before the problem.
1: Yeah. And it kind of goes back... Like, I compared him to Dr. Frankenstein before. And it's kind of the same thing where... Dr. Frankenstein tries to create like the perfect person. Like he tries to make a, you know, like a a great person out of like raw materials. And <laughs> and then like what comes out, he's like, oh my God, what did I do? Like he can't face the monster that he created. So like he didn't really understand what he was making, even though he was successful at making it. So I like that kind of parallel with Bickerstaff.
0: Um, And then afterwards, when the skull is gone, uh, they they have a moment where they're all I mean, they're not really talking about it. But Lucy's thinking about, you know, it is now confirmed by her and two other people that she can talk to type threes Mm. like Marissa Fitzgood and like nobody else has since then. And they talk about maybe going public with it and what this is going to do for their company and blah, 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 blah. And I just find that interesting because we know they never go public with it. And it's. You know, and it it doesn't seem to be a a conscious choice that they've ever made to not go public with it. But they I mean, I do think it is the absolutely correct choice uh, because I think bad things would have happened to Lucy had they gone public with it.
1: Well, it says there had been reports of others down the years, but the agents involved had all either died soon afterwards or been Mm -hmm. certified insane and sometimes both. And and that's like the official story that everyone knows. Yeah. Which kind of keeps like authority aligned with the you know the story of Marissa Fitz and the method that she created because she's like don't do this thing because it'll mess you up. Well, I was able to do it, but not you, and and therefore like that keeps the authority with the Fitz manual and everything. If that makes sense, so it's very suspicious to me. Yeah, that there have been other maybe reported people, but then. They seem to go crazy or die as soon as they speak up about it.
0: Yeah. Or disappear. Yeah. yeah. Um I never even, like, that makes total sense now that you say that. But when I read it, I just assumed those people were all wrong. I don't know. I think I was thinking mm-hmm. of it as a, the protagonist has to be special point of view, not a, right, those people maybe could talk to type threes and bad things happen to them. But that makes sense. I mean, maybe. sense. <laughs>
1: It might be that Marissa Fitz was just so special and Lucy is just so special, but it seems like if anybody, other people did claim to be able to do it and then they died right after they claimed. So like, that seems bad, (laughs) you know, Yeah. like that's a bad uh, pattern.
0: Yeah, no, that makes sense. And, but like Lucy doesn't even think about that right here, but again, they never do go public. So a part of them must know that it makes more sense not to. Anyways, chapter 17. Yeah. In which Lockwood and Co. make their way to Bickerstaff's manor, and George brings Skull along. Uh, And the chapter art is presumably the gate to the sanatorium land, the Bickerstaff land. It's all chained up. So here's a bit that I think was done better in the show, in that they have them sneak into Bickerstaff's house and not, like... Like in the book, they detail that, you know, they called people and they got permission to go and blah, 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 blah. But they still go at night. And the book tries to make it make sense. But I'm sorry, it makes no fucking sense. If you are not sneaking (laughs) in, just go in the middle of the day and find the notes and verify that. And then if you want to stay after dark to see if you can pick up anything, do that. But why, why would you go at night to search for the notes? That makes no sense.
1: Yeah, you're right. I hadn't thought of that, but you're totally right. Yeah.
0: The book tries really hard to make it make sense, and I get wanting Skull there and everything. I get it, but it doesn't, it doesn't make any sense. It's stupid. I don't
1: think they know at this point either that Skull can operate uh, in any like day or night. It doesn't matter.
0: Honestly, to me, um, that always felt so- like a writing mistake that Stroud tried to fix later.
1: Oh, like he retconned it? <laughs>
0: yeah, that always felt to me like he was like, "Oh shit, I did have Skull talking during the day." Oh well, I'll just like, la la la. Yeah,
1: because it kind of doesn't square with other uh, like stuff that's behind silver glass that only seems to operate at night. Yeah, even though it's trapped in the silver glass. Uh, but I don't know. He's a type three, so maybe the rules are different. I don't
0: yeah, know. no, I don't care. Like, yeah, I, yeah, I don't yeah. care. I'd rather have Skull being a sarcastic little ass than not in the scene. Right? So whatever. Yeah. But it just but, yeah, no. this
1: I mean, Lockwood's thing that he says specifically is your sensitivity is phenomenal and we've got to give you every chance to use it. Who knows what you might pick up in the Bickerstaff house after dark. So, yeah, like, that's his I, justification. Sure.
0: But go and get the notes during the day first. A
1: hundred percent. I think <laughs> you're right. Yeah.
0: As, but just even to confirm that the skull knows what it's saying, like is is right about something and not just because they they did talk last chapter about how the skull could have just been listening to them and then giving them the saying what they wanted to hear and not actually have known Bickerstaff right. at all. They're going to look for the notes specifically to confirm whether the skull is telling the truth.
1: <sighs> mm hmm.
0: And then, yeah, if if you're good and you feel like it's a good thing and you've got your supplies, wait around, you know, and have a good exit strategy, whatever. Moving on. They get ready to go. I took like no notes here cuz I was upset. Oh. <laughs> there is like um
1: I think this is related to something else that I was thinking in this same kind of spot. It it talks about that like Lucy is talking about after he says that She's like, it's true that I could pick up impressions of the past by touching objects that possess psychic residue, but that doesn't mean it's a pleasant thing to do. And so, like, Lockwood is very like, uh, we'll just go in there and like you'll pick up whatever you pick up, and we're gonna get all kinds of great clues. And I think that this reveals something about like Lockwood's psychology as it relates to himself, where he's very willing to put himself into harm's way to accomplish the job Mm -hmm. and he's like emotionally unplugged from his own experience in the moment. Like it's not happening to him. It's about disconnecting from himself and doing the job, if that makes sense. But that's not how Lucy experiences ghost hunting. She is very plugged into the experience of herself and the ghosts and not able to disconnect herself from herself. Like, that's the source of her power. Mm -hmm. And so, like, he, the way that he's thinking about it makes sense for Lockwood to like project onto Lucy, but it completely misunderstands what it's like for Lucy, if that makes sense.
0: Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. That's part of the big disconnect between the two of them. Yeah. That we will talk more in book three. Yeah. Yeah. I like that
1: it's here, though, and that, like, it's always been here in a way, you know, like, Yeah. So it's good. And it's like becoming more and more of an issue for Lucy. Like she's becoming more and more uncomfortable with it. I like that.
0: Yeah. While there is still daylight, uh, George does go to the library to see if he can find a copy of the Confessions of Mary Dulac. Because going to a perfectly safe building with a lot of people during daylight, that's the priority. (laughs) And I, I really only bring this up because he says that he's made a call on the way home and there's no cell phones. So did he just... He was walking home and he was like, Oh, a payphone. I can't wait. I have to I can't wait till I'm home. I, I assumed
1: yeah. I assumed that was and it. I'm
0: like, is that is that how we used to treat payphones? That we would see one and be like, wait, I gotta make a call. Because I was I was young <laughs> enough that I really only used them when I was like at the mall by myself and I needed a parent to come pick me up. I would call them and be like, yo, I'm done. Come get me. I'll meet you at this door.
1: <laughs> right. Yeah, me too. I, uh, yeah, I would never, I would never call anybody because I couldn't wait. That seems crazy. It's so expensive.
0: Anyways, I guess, I guess Stroud just didn't want us have to write out the conversation. And if he was at the house, he may, have, and whatever, it doesn't matter. It's just weird. Um, but the library did not have the confessions of Mary Dulac. But I do also like that they talk about the possibility of Bobby Vernon already having it, which they shoot down. But also, they only yep. call him Little Bobby Vernon. As though there's a big Bobby Vernon every time, but it's it's not. They're just like, oh, (laughs) little Bobby Vernon, love that that he's not there at all. But they can't, yeah, they can't let it go.
1: (laughs) It's every time that Mary Dulac comes up, I can only hear the annoying uh, little song from the first Shrek movie about the perfect place that Dulac is. Oh, that. Like, the wind-up yes, toy people yes. sing and stuff. It's like, I I hear that every single time in my head that they talk about Mary Dulac. And I know that that's not anything that Stroud intended, but it is my experience of the book. So, like, I need to share that with other people so that that happens to them.
0: Luckily, I have no memory of that song. Like, I remember the scene you're talking about, but I couldn't come up with yeah. the tune if you paid me money.
1: It's making fun of, like, the whole Disney ride thing that's, like... Yeah. Whatever that's called. I can't remember. It's a small Where world? It's like peace on earth. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, it's a small world.
0: Anyways, when they eventually get all their shit together and head to the bigger staff estate land, the sanatorium plus the house, whatever you want to call it. It's the middle mm-hmm. of the night because, of course, it is. This is a ghost story. I'm never letting this go. And but... It, <laughs> If we recall, we've spent the majority of the beginning of this book talking about how warm and sunny and what a long, sunny day, summer it is. And George is wearing Mm -hmm. a wool hat and a pair of fingerless gloves. And I can't... A wool hat, not just a hat. Do you know how hot wool is? It's... Yeah. Like, is it 100% wool? Because he would be dying. And then he's got this heavy backpack with the skull in it, which we don't know yet, but whatever. And I'm like, why? 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 George, make. Why are you doing this to yourself? Maybe
1: he's dressed like that in case. Because, like, when you go into the haunted house, it's cold.
0: No, yeah, you can so have the wool hat to... in the backpack. You you know, it's not going to take up that much room. Just put it on top of skull. Yeah. <laughs> Can you imagine that? Yes. (laughs) Uh, And, and, you know, the gloves can be in your pockets. uh, Maybe that's
1: why it's like that, though, as like a clue that like his backpack is so full that he's like weirdly dressed. You know what I mean? Like, because we don't know why his rucksack is so full yet, you know, like narratively. So, like, is it a clue to be like, why is he dressed like that?
0: That's the only thing that makes any sense. Because why is he dressed like that?
1: Yeah, I do. Yeah, I do like the whole thing where he called Joplin and all that. Oh, and yes. And Lockwood's like, you shouldn't tell people anything about your life or let people in, George. <laughs> like, what if they what if he tells Kipps? <laughs> what if you lose that person and then you, for the rest of your life, you're tortured and alone? What if that happens? Did you think of that?
0: Or what if they, like, betray you and are the murderer and everything? Right.
1: What if that? Yeah, Lockwood is, like, accidentally correct in his emotional paranoia here. But, like, I do like that he's like, never let people in, George. Like
0: (laughs) It's just us three against the world.
1: Against everyone.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Although, to be fair, he's the one who invites a fourth person into the house later. But whatever. That's true. Anyways, they walk in, they walk past the sanatorium, which is creepy as shit and full of ghosts, but they're like mostly benign. So they're just like, well, we'll leave that alone, which I think is great. Uh (laughs) And they keep walking up towards the house. And then Lockwood has this horrible line, basically. Oh, and then, I'm sorry, I skipped over. Lucy discovers that Lockwood and George conspired to bring the skull because he might have information while we're there, and honestly, I'm on their side. This makes sense. It's just shitty that they didn't tell Lucy.
1: Yeah, that's not good. They shouldn't have done that. Yeah, I I like that she doesn't like Skull and doesn't want him around. Uh, I like this arc that they that they have that he's setting up
0: until they're like best friends. Uh, I love Skull, right? So much. Yeah,
1: until the inseparable. Uh, I do like that this is like as they're like walking through the neighborhood it's like it feels like a rich place like oh, there's yes. a lot of money here yeah and then like as they get closer to their destination everything is like getting worse and worse and like terrible and it just like if you've ever lived anywhere like super rich where there's like tons and tons of money that's always where in my experience anyway you'll also find like the poorest and most dilapidated Things are like always nearby. It's like really if you have mega rich people, you'll have mega poor people and like abandoned dilapidated places too.
0: We don't really have that here. Like not next to each other.
1: Mm-hmm. That's good. It's like you have a functioning society. That's good.
0: Well, I wouldn't call it that. I'm just saying our mega rich areas <laughs> are over here and then the poor people are over there. They're not next to each yeah. other, usually, except in situations where like the neighborhood I have recently moved to is has been for the past five to 10 years undergoing some deep gentrification. So, and it was like a really, really bad part of town before that. So there's still like remnants of the bad stuff right next to like these gorgeous new condo buildings that I'm sure the apartments in themselves are like a million dollars yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's kind of what I mean. Yeah. that is just because it's oh, but that's normal. That's suburbs here. The real rich people, I'm sure, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. like, you know, they live on the beach and they paid five million dollars for their home 15 years ago. So it's probably worth 20 million now. Yeah. Don't ever live on the West Coast, folks. It sucks. (laughs) It's a nightmare. I mean, it looks nice and they make you pay for it.
1: Yep. I wonder what the property value of this neighborhood is with this gigantic sanatorium full of ghosts and this locked up haunted house just around the corner. It can't be good.
0: But I mean, in this particular version of London, every house around the corner is a locked up haunted house, so that probably doesn't affect your property values. Or like it does, but it affects all, yeah, all of them. Right. But anyways, let's not let's not talk about real world problems. We're here to talk about the problem. <laughs> Um. So, yeah, as they're heading towards the Bickerstaff house, Lockwood has this bit where he says terrible things happened up there, but that doesn't mean the place is haunted now. Bickerstaff's ghost was at the cemetery. He's not here. The bone glass isn't here. Well, then what's left to harm us? And I'm just like, dude, you literally just said everything's going to be fine, you know, before walking into it. Like, you just taunted <laughs> that place is what I'm saying. Somebody needs to slap Lockwood right. a little bit and have him understand <laughs> to keep that shit to himself. Because I feel like this is not the first time he's done that.
1: It'll be fine, guys. It's all going to have a positive attitude. Yeah.
0: Oh, and on the next what page, I think for the third time I wrote, why wouldn't they go during the day? Because nothing's going to hurt you. It's all
1: <sighs> it's cleaned up. It's fine. He, yes, he was digging up dead bodies and dissecting them in this house, but like... That's fine. It's okay. What and then wrong? just to
0: add like insult to injury, they make Lucy open the door and go in first, which to be fair, she was next in their rotation. Like that had been previously established when George opened right. the coffin. So I get it. But I mean, they just sprung skull Second on her. Second only to the biscuit rule. And all these things. And it just, it did feel a little unfair, but maybe I'm just like always on Lucy's side, no matter what.
1: Well, she makes the good point of saying you're taking me for granted me in this house. So, like, that's true.
0: Yeah, Um, I didn't really have anything else. You know, they eventually Lucy opens the door and the chapter ends.
1: Yeah, I like that it's he says, uh, I think Lockwood says this. We've got two sets of objectives here. We look for those papers. The skull mentioned we try to pick up any psychic traces left by Bickerstaff and his friends which is kind of like stating the goal before we actually go into the scene, which I, I kind of like that. Right. Um, but, uh, the only other note that I have is like kind of near the end Mm. where I just think this is kind of funny. Like it's some Stroudian type writing where it says, uh, this was a house where the previous proprietor had engaged in years of sinister occult research, where he'd probably tried to summon the spirit of dead in a series of unsavory experiments and where he'd suffered a mysterious and solitary death. Let's face it. We were taking trace memories that would need more than a squirt of air freshener to remove. (coughs) So, I don't know. I just (laughs) like... He's like, it's going to be nasty in here and we're not going to clean it up with some Lysol.
0: Yeah. And then I do... I do like Lucy's line right after that, where she says, still, I'm an agent, etc., etc. You know, you the, know deal. the deal. <laughs> it's good.
1: Yeah. It's good and ominous, but it's funny.
0: Yes. Yeah. Which is why we love Stroud. Ominous and yeah. funny. Um, I do feel like just because of how we split up the, the podcast, these chapters were just a lot of setup and not much happened. But like, that's not bad. It's just, it's just how we split things up.
1: Yep, there's a lot of character stuff. And I feel like everything that goes on in this uh, thing, there's just too much to talk about packed into those two chapters to keep going because we have already gone for more than an hour or so.
0: Um, Did you have a favorite joke? I did not because I feel Mm. like a lot of the jokes this time were just maddening to me. Like all the George stuff I was on Lockwood's side with, please just shut up, George.
1: Yeah, yeah, the Julius, the bogeys. Yeah. Those are probably the biggest jokes, Yeah, but they're not great because it's just kind of making fun of George.
0: I didn't even really have a most punk rock because I feel like all the action is in the next two chapters. And like I said, this was just a lot of setup.
1: Yeah. And it's not very punk rock to behind your friend's back bring the the thing that she's like scared of. And then, yeah.
0: I mean, I guess- that's I, they hide evidence from the police. That's that's pretty punk rock.
1: That's true. That's true.
0: But it's not really like a moment. It's just like a, a and also they hide it because of the competition, not because of the police.
1: Looting dead bodies is punk rock, though. And, uh, mm,
0: that's true. That's true. But still, I didn't feel like sometimes when you read these chapters, you're like, "Whoa, that is so punk rock." But uh, I I didn't really have something like that.
1: It's nothing like that. Yeah, I agree. Yep, I think the. We have like best joke, worst joke. And I think this is just like a worst joke kind of a set of chapters.
0: Yeah. Not that they're bad chapters. They're just, I'm I'm excited for the action next week or next episode.
1: It just reduces George to comedy relief and we're not into that.
0: Yeah. But if you are, you can disagree with us and let us know on Twitter. That was so smooth of me uh yep we are at lockwood <laughs> podcast and you can always uh, reach out to me on twitter personally i am at inferior caitlin and if you want to reach out through
1: email send them to contact at hollowgroundmedia.com or visit our contact page slash contact
0: and remember to always interrogate the dead bodies in your house